Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest installment of the Billy Gilmore podcast. Uh, normally, we are the pod for the discerning Adam Sandler fan, the pod for the fan of the Sandman. But we're doing something a little different yet again. We are now, as of this episode, we are now three episodes into our uh, deep dive, our odyssey into the um, danker corners of the Happy Madison universe. Uh, We uh, have covered previously, we covered Grandma's Boy. uh, And then last episode, uh, we tackled uh, the first two movies starring roles of uh, one Chris Farley's career. And tonight, I'm very excited to uh, be with all of you to discuss uh, Farley's last two real starring roles, unfortunately, uh, Beverly Hills Ninja and Almost Hero, as uh, heroes, as, long, uh, as well as a few other odds and ends. Um, but first, as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts. Hi, this is Chris Giles. And awesome Colt. Like I said, we are super excited to be here tonight to talk all things Chris Farley, to talk all things Beverly Hills Ninja, to talk all things... Dennis Dugan, Christopher Guest, um, all things, not all things Chris Rock, um, even though he is in Beverly Hills Ninja. Um, As far as news goes, before we dive right in, uh, you know, all was pretty quiet on the Adam Sandler front. Um, Not too much has been going on aside from, uh, (laughs) I believe, Austin at the poker game that we were, that you hosted on Friday night. Uh, We spoke to someone who was uh, in Hawaii recently and stumbled onto the set of Murder Mystery 2. and yeah. like they didn't actually walk onto the set, but they were like, oh, what's filming over there? And it's like something called Murder Mystery 2. And like, I just like sat up like in my chair and I was like, what? Um, so it's confirmed but- that it's in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as of mid-February, they were shooting there. Okay. So that's a sweet little, that's, that's an inside scoop. One of the first we've had on this podcast, uh, inside straight dope on uh, Murder Mystery 2. So uh, you, you come here to, you come here to us for stuff like that. Um, Besides that, um, we'll touch very briefly um, because God almighty, I guarantee you someone already is doing an entire six part podcast on this thing in particular. So we don't need to dive too deeply into it, but it does, it would feel weird not to mention it considering we take such careful, we take such care to talk about the Sandler squad and how important, you know, like this, this ecosystem of, uh, actors are and how they keep showing up and they're clearly friends and many of them from the SNL days. And uh, we are uh, just a week and a half, right? I don't know. What is time anymore? Um, we're a little, a little over a week, actually, just a week. It feels like 12 months um, since uh, Chris Rock, stalwart Sandler um, supporting player, um, star of such films as The Week Of and Beverly Hills Ninja, um, was uh, slapped. He got the shit slapped out of him, in his own words, um, by uh, one uh, Will Smith at the Oscars. Um, it's a whole weird thing. It's very, very, uh, there's a lot of uh, angles. And of course, it immediately sort of became fodder for uh, all the worst people online to immediately make it all about whatever their pet issue right. was. Um, because I remember, uh, like, Wilson, I think you and I were watching it live, yes? 
Yeah. We were watching it live and like texting a bit. Um, and, you know, obviously just kind of like just, just scrolling around on Twitter like an idiot. And then the slap occurred and there was maybe just one hour, one blissful kind of pure hour where folks were just expressing sincere shock at what they just saw. Like the fact that it happened, the fact that it happened on TV, the fact that it happened, you know, involving one of the biggest movie stars of all time and Chris Rock. Um, and there was about like an hour, just like good, pure, holy shit. I can't believe that just happened. Oh my God. And then once you got past the hour, that's when the take started to roll in. And, um, well, it's been a good idea to stay off, to stay offline pretty much since then. I was very curious to see, I looked at like after party pictures that night and just saw David Spade hanging out by himself. Part of me was wondering, <laughs> was Chris Rock supposed to be his like friend and partner at this event? Did he get unable to make it or something? But yeah, it was cool to see David Spade was also at Oscar parties. Uh, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, who, who who knows? And it's all still being not not actually litigated, but um, but it's uh, yeah, it's still just it's going to be talked about and dissected and everything, and it's going to be one of the most like memorable for better for worse, mostly for worse moments in Oscar history. And so it just happens to uh, you know there'll always be that asterisk next to Chris Rock's name, um, and. Um, yeah, I hope he's okay. Uh, looks like he took a, you know, we now know that uh, he um, he takes a he takes a slap pretty well because uh, he uh, iron jaw. He 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 didn't he barely moved. Uh, so good for him. We wish him the best. He recovered astoundingly well, considering the insanity of the situation. Like he, you know, he kind of stayed firm he cracked a little choke and just moved on with like what the best documentary nominees um and congratulations to summer of soul that's a fine fine film and i'm so sorry that <laughs> that bullshit had to happen <laughs> before before your win good for you quest love yeah geez yeah that was a, that was a whole thing it's like how did how like i feel like everything was overshadowed after that it was just like oh god what what just happened what's going on um and yeah, and, and and Rock Rock also like he 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 held back like when he got slapped. He like he 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 was sort of I'm not I mean physically I mean like you could sort of see the gears turning in his head, and he deliberately makes a choice not to continue by right. like uh, making another joke or. Mm, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, like you got to figure, you know, that's th- thirty years of showbiz instinct kicking in, and he figure like all I can do is just continue what my job is supposed to be and basically just back away because it's not about him. Not really. Like, I, like, yeah, I don't know. Like we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but like all you can do to not put gas on the fire is to basically do what he did. You know, just like, all right, peace. Yeah, <laughs> I guess one other slightly Sandler universe-esque piece at the Oscars was uh, Eugenio Derbez being in the oh, Best right. Picture winner. So he he took the stage at the end. Yeah, so Jack and Jill star Eugenio Derbez uh, in the in the Best Picture winner. Um, uh, yep, he, that's, that's all I have to say about Coda. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh man. Well, I feel I feel like Jessica Chastain should do a Sandler movie. Like she need like like she she should just, like she should go to Hawaii and have some fun. Now that she's won her goddamn gold, like she needs to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hang for a bit. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, yeah, Chess Chessing would do well. Chessing would do really well in the same universe, I feel like. But, yes. Yeah, just like just like an easy, you know, she doesn't have to act, she doesn't have to show off her Juilliard training or whatever, wherever it is. Um man. Anyways, um, so yeah, we're not here to talk about Will Smith, we're not here to talk about the Willinium. Um, we are here to talk about Chris Farley. Um, and uh, specifically uh, his last two films are what we're going to be focusing on tonight, um, and that is 1997's Beverly Hills Ninja and 1998's Almost Heroes. Um, and it, these are kind of, um, these are interesting ones because, you know, we, we deliberately broke them up the way we did because Black Sheep and Tom, or Tommy Boy and Black Sheep are such a, a pair. Um, you know, they, they feel like they go together really naturally for obvious reasons. Uh, and these two other ones are a little bit of the road not taken or the road, you know, it's a little bit of like what could have been um, going forward because, you know, Beverly Hills Ninja, uh, which was the last one released while Farley was alive, um, Beverly Hills Ninja was another number one hit movie. So like that he had with Tommy Boy, Black Sheep and then Beverly Hills Ninja, he had three number one hits and you think about when Beverly Hills Ninja came out in 1997, like Sandler at that point had just had Billy, Ma we're not counting Bulletproof. He just had Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore under his belt. And those movies did well, but they weren't like, he wasn't, it took like, like I think like Wedding Singer and Waterboy year were where like, and then especially Big Daddy was like Adam Sandler hitting the stratosphere as like a box office draw. But the, um, the, you know, Beverly Hills Ninja, I guess is what I'm trying to say is that like, there are indications he could have been like an Adam Sandler level box office draw um, based on the evidence of at least, you know, Beverly Hills Ninja. Um, yeah, I also read, uh, I read, I was telling the guys, uh, the co-host before we started recording, I read uh, Chris Far the Chris Farley show, the uh, biography that was released. When was that? 2011, 2012, like 2008. <clears throat> oh wow okay so it's been out for a while no one there's a reference yeah. to have the show house being on the air in the book <laughs> uh, I was trying to date it without looking it up i was like when did house end um so um but yeah uh beverly hills ninjas directed by uh fave of the podcast dennis dugan um and Dennis Dugan, uh, of course, directed, he was just coming off of uh, Happy Gilmore, would go on to direct many an Adam Sandler uh, cl classic and, uh, you know, other uh, Happy Madison joints, such as the Benchwarmers. And uh, so that's, you know, that, that, you know, we'll have stuff to say about that movie. And then we're also covering almost heroes. I, I always want to say almost famous every single time. I can't, I can barely say almost heroes. It comes out as almost famous. <laughs> um, that, this one, weirdly enough, directed by Christopher Guest of uh, Waiting for Guff Guffman and Best in Show fame. Uh, and as uh, Denise DeNovi, producer Denise DeNovi says in the Chris Farley Show book, uh, according to her, and I think this is the general consensus, she said, I like to tell people that I made the one unsuccessful Christopher Guest movie. <laughs> um, so that's kind of interesting. So that's what we're going to talk about, uh, starting with uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. 
Um, had you guys seen this one before? Ninja? Yes, I had. Um, I'd seen it one time before. It's weirdly one that like I missed when we were when we, when we were younger. Um, as much as you know, I loved and rewatched Tommy Boy and Black Sheep, Beverly Hills Ninja. Like I was aware of it and probably caught bits of it here and there on you know TBS or like at a sleepover or something. But I just never actually sat down and watched it until I think like a couple of years ago. Um, so coming in kind of fresh on that one. Yeah, I had seen it. Uh, I think I had seen it like once as a kid. Um, and then I've seen it probably several times over the last couple of, or since, you know, the 90s. Um, I think I watched it once during the early stages of quarantine, too, and then revisited it yesterday, today for this. Yeah, it's um, Beverly Hills Ninja was I, I, you know, it was a movie that I was I, I'm pretty sure like I had I had it's one of those ones that like, you know, there are movies you see as a kid where like you have you know you still like have internalized so much of it like Tommy Boy for a lot of people or Black Sheep as time, <coughs> um, Beverly Hills Ninja is is more a movie where I like I was watching it and I was like I think pretty sure I've seen this before like I'm pretty sure like I watched this on video when I was a kid but it's like not like super. Maybe because none of it's super memorable. None of it's like really sticking out in a major way. Um, Almost Heroes, yeah, I had never seen that. So um, that was a fascinating one to to, to visit. Um, I think what, what what kept coming back to me in this in terms of like as a kid being like, oh, yeah, it's that guy. It's uh, Robin Shu who plays uh-huh. Gobi um, from and he's also in Mortal Kombat. The, yes the video game movie in the nineties. So like, that's where I know him from. And like, as a kid being a big fan of that movie, this, this movie was like, that that's him. Uh, he's got great hair, uh, Robin shoe. And um, there's a very funny gag uh, in the movie where he's dressed up like a woman and someone pulls off a wig and the wig more or less just looks like his hair. Um, <laughs> um, and that's a pretty funny bit. Um, so yeah, so we just dive right in. Uh, Beverly Hills Ninja, like I said, 1997, directed by Dennis Dugan. Um, it's just about a, uh, it's about a, a young, uh, a young, uh, like basically like a, there's a prophecy about a great white ninja that's gonna, you know, come from overseas to Japan and like become a ninja and, you know, save the day, whatever. And uh, it's basically Chris Farley uh, like washes up on the shore as a baby and uh, they take time like at this dojo, basically this master ninja takes him in to give him training. Um, and we see even as, at a young age, like he's big and clumsy and kind of dumb. Uh, and he's constantly, uh, you know, making life tough for his brother uh, who is, what's that? What's the, it's Robin Shu, but what's the character's name? I can't remember. Oh, it's a Gobe. Like Gobe, yeah. So there's Haru. Haru is Chris Farley, and Gobe is Robin Shu. Um, when they get older, um, and you know we see Chris Farley. Uh, Chris Farley in the uh, in you know in the present day, and uh, he's still like you know bumbling. He's the Chris Farley you know in love. He's bumbling. He's big. He's uh, you know having a tough time with it, but he's he's super lovable. Um, he does not, uh, he's not accepted as a full ninja, uh, because he can't really hang with the rest of the ninja. <laughs> um, there's a really, there's a funny bit that I almost, maybe they use it just the right amount of times, but I, part of me wish they'd used it more. The, um, the bit about like the astral projection where it's like, he's like, 
he like goes into like that Zen place where it's like they're speaking to each other, like in that like painted backdrop. Um, but Farley is like careening all over the screen because he's like, he can't, he can't like control his mind enough to sit there and talk. Um, basically one night, <clears throat> one night while all the ninjas are out of the dojo uh, doing some ninja stuff, um, this American woman, Nicolette Sheridan, uh, stops by and says that she needs help from a ninja. And, you know, Chris Farley is smitten. He's like, oh yeah, I'm a ninja. Um, he, you know, does a bunch of bumbling. He tries to show this scroll. Uh, <laughs> the scroll is funny because it has the thing about like, oh, that's the, that's actually like, here's the bit about the white ninja. And it's like, oh, this is actually the bit about the master, master and the two and 18 year old twins. Um, I like that was a, that's, that's a, I never really got further than like a hearty chuckle in this movie, but um, it, there weren't too many belly laughs for me, but that one was one of the hearty chuckles. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he accidentally burns the scroll while he's like showing it to her. Um, he like uh, knocks over like all these uh, urns with the ashes of dead ninja warriors in them, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, does he burn the dojo down? Is that what happens? Uh, actually... <laughs> I don't believe so, but he destroys it essentially. Like yeah. he destroys a lot of the walls and like makes it need to go into several repairs to get back up to normal. Um, because I think they, I think they come back and is it that they come back and then he says like he had a, a woman come while he was there and needs to go like help her. Yes. Um, but at that point, I don't know if there's like any sort of scene like, what'd you do the, to the dojo? They're just kind of used to it at this point now. Um, it's a movie that like with, with all of Farley sort of like, he can't look like he can't turn his head without, you know, knocking something over or running into a wall or something in this movie. Like it's Beverly Hills Ninja makes Tommy Boy and Black Sheep look kind of tame and grounded <laughs> by comparison, which is, which is something. Yeah. I wish I had seen, I wish like I had, I mean, like if I did see it as a kid, then it makes sense because the, the, this movie, now this is something that they talk about in the Farley biography, but it's like deliberately, like apparently the script wasn't great. And Farley's way of dealing with that was he just leaned into um, making it a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot in there that it's like, oh, if I had just, you know, if, if I if I did or if I had seen this um, at age eight or nine, I probably would have thought it was great. Like, oh, this is super funny um, because it is just a lot of pratfalls and slapstick and big silly man doing big silly things. And I think that is the best way to approach it is if like it's like a not quite successful attempt at Farley doing a family movie. And I think there's a version of this that like there, there is a version of this that had they fully committed to that, I think this movie would be seen with that with more esteem. Because <laughs> um, as it is, like there's a lot of that sort of family movie, very slapstick, very you know chucklehead vibe combined with like you know scenes in strip clubs and people getting shot and blown up and whatnot. So it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird mix of tones. It kind of what um, so I've been listening to the audiobook and it, what it kind of reminded me of is where there's a moment where they're talking about like getting inspiration from like Fatty Arbuckle and like silent film people. Mm -hmm. So this this film, like watching a lot of it, it was like he's silent for a lot of it and just doing these like falls and like very physical jokes. 
So I almost kind of took it like in a way, like a silent film outside of, you know, his lines here and there, but it's a lot more physical, I feel like, than the other two that we have watched so far. For sure. And I mean, and, it's, and that's an interesting point too, because I, um, you know, towards the end of his life, I believe Farley was attached or at least trying to get things off the ground for a potential fatty Arbuckle biopic. So I think he might've had that in mind for sure. Well, they talk about that a lot um, in the book where it's like David Mamet had written this script about fatty Arbuckle and it was going to be Chris Farley. Um, And then I believe at a certain point before, um, before, after Beverly Hills Ninja, because apparently, you know, Farley at some point post Black Sheep, he unfortunately had a relapse and um, Beverly Hills Ninja, apparently he was very good when they were shooting. Like it was never a plot problem. His substance abuse stuff was never a problem when they were shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, but apparently after Beverly Hills Ninja was done shooting, it was like, you know, all his stuff was so well publicized that he basically like no one would insure the Fatty Arbuckle movie. Like it was basically like a thing about like you're too much of a liability. Like, you you know, we can't trust you to, you know, there was like a magazine piece that came out about how messed up Chris Farley was. Um, the book, again, I, I, I think everyone should read that book, but like it really like made me like, I don't know, like, I, I grew up, we grew up. Um, I mean, this whole podcast is a testament to this. We we grew up in the era of Saturday Night Live where it was that transition from the 80s into the 90s. Um, and like even really like even like Dana Carvey and stuff was like before my time. It's like for me, it's like really like Sandler and Spade and Norm MacDonald and uh, Farley and like these guys. Um, and like there's just a, you know, they talk in the book about how like the big New York magazine article that was basically just like Saturday Night Live sucks now and here's who's running it into the ground. And they used Chris Farley as like the cover image. Right, right. For that. And mm-hmm. apparently he didn't really know or like, I mean, I, I'm sure they, I'm sure he wouldn't have agreed to do it if he'd known like what the, the tape, the article was going to have. But like, yeah, as I understand it, like, poster boy for like, like ruining it. Right. Like, and I, I believe like the guy like who wrote that article was by all accounts very chummy and like gregarious when he was on set and like just doing his doing his research and doing his reporting and then they were all kind of blindsided by what they thought was the shittiness of that article and then to put yeah farley on that cover is definitely gonna um you know that's that that cannot feel pleasant to be in that position yeah and he just he seems so like you know it's all it's the stuff that like you know you kind of can't help but bring to to like the movie while movies while you're watching them because like I don't know. It's like, he seemed like so open-hearted in so many ways. And like, there's the quote where like, he literally like said to maybe Spade or somebody, he was just like, wow, I feel bad that we ruined the show. And the person's like, shut up. Like, no, of course we didn't. Or of course you didn't like that. That guy's just a jerk. And he was just like, like he took it to heart um, and like really like beat himself up. So anyways, um, Haru played by Chris Farley, uh, he goes to uh he basically like he ends up getting framed for murder in japan by like this you know this goon um nicolette sheridan uh she she wants help because her boyfriend uh this like international criminal he's like he has these these plates that he's going to do counterfeit he's in counterfeit bills like uh, counterfeit yen with um and probably just do nefarious shit with that 
Um, and uh, isn't it he killed her sister? Is that right? Like that, that's that's mentioned by someone later. And I was like, oh, did I miss that? Like someone's like, oh, yeah, like he killed her sister. And it's like, oh, when they do the mushroom tea, he says something about that. Yes. Um, anyways, <laughs> um, Chris Farley uh, has to he, he decides that he's going to um, fly to America and help uh, the and help the, the woman. Um, what Sally Jones is her fake name or whatever. And he's going to go help her. Um, and uh, his master uh, tells Robin Shu, his brother, Gobe, uh, you better go with him, like basically shadow him and make sure that uh, he's OK and doesn't hurt himself or others um, in the state. And so um, because they found a matchbook from Beverly Hills Hotel or a hotel in Beverly Hills. And so uh, Chris Farley is off. Um, we get all sorts of silly hygiene. It's all it's all just silly. It's everything silly. Like he. He, um, he walks through the metal detectors and they go off and he like, you know, freaks out and like karate chops them. You know, he's got like swords and all, you know, swords and stuff um, that he's trying to bring through. Um, he gets, he uh, tells a kid sitting next to him on the plane that like, oh, I could tell you my mission, um, but then I would have to kill you. And the kid's dad like punches him. Um, <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> There's there is a, there is something that I like uh, that I like and there's there's a tiny bit of this a very tiny bit of this in parts of almost heroes as well a different dialect but I kind of like that Farley throughout often speaks in this kind of stilted mm. like you know like uh, like uh, I, I don't know I'm trying to think of a good example but it's like the way he's talking to this kid and he's just like Oh, but then, like, he it's almost like, like stilted and like almost formal in a way where he's like mm-hmm. raised in tradition or like very, it's like mannered um, in, uh, in a way that he, 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 he makes a meal out of it. And even that is like a funny bit of business, like when he's speaking lines. Um, he gets to, he gets to the States. Uh, he goes to, was it Hertz? This was the one product placement thing that I clocked and now I'm forgetting what it was. Um, it's, a, it's a Hertz rental car place. Let's say that. Um, and he, uh, he gets a car, uh, the guy, uh, I love the guy, um, he, uh, the running gag where the guy's just like, Hey, like, you know, thanks asshole, mm-hmm. like passing the traffic. And then the whole rest of the movie, Chris Farley, they think, they think we don't overuse this joke where he's just saying it to the, the valet at the hotel. He's just like, thanks asshole. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, just taking it because like, of course he would take it. I think they only do it twice. Like the first time Farley does it and the guy just were like, Oh, okay. And then towards the end, he, he does it again. And it's like, the guy clearly has just accepted it now because he is very, very sweetly and truthfully like anytime, sir. Like he's like, he's fine with it. <laughs> um, I love the running gag too of Farley always taking off his shoes before entering in the hotel. <laughs> that's that's probably the smartest gag just because like i love the dude just like sweeping his shoes into the into the like the, the container and then dumping that <laughs> he finally <laughs> references it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so at the, the the uh the concierge um concierge at the hotel um is uh, like uh, super dismissive until the exact instant that Chris Farley decides to pay in gold coins, at which point he's just like, oh my God, like, yes. Um, but before that, we meet uh, Chris Rock, Sandler Squad, stalwart Chris Rock, um, the man with the, the the most iron-jawed comedian out there, Chris <laughs> Rock. Um, and he is, you know, doing some business about uh, his carpal tunnel and uh, how he can't carry the bags anymore. And 
he is assigned to help uh, Chris Farley up with his luggage. Um, and I just have to note that uh, I don't know how many other examples of, there, of this there might be, um, but um, we have our second, not in the podcast, but just in general, we have our second um, Sandler squad member uh, uh, playing like a hotel, like bellboy um, or like, you know, baggage handler after Rob Schneider in Home Alone 2 lost in New York. Oh, well, you're right. Yeah, that's funny. It's a fun little, fun little connection. <laughs> And Rock is so, like, he seems so happy to be here, like, <laughs> and, and just very, just very amused by, by, by Farley's whole thing. Like, like, this could be a grumble and sleepwalk way through the role and get in, like, grab your check kind of thing. But he seems to be digging it, which I, which I always enjoy whenever I revisit this one. I kind of feel just, like, <laughs> yeah, I feel like everyone's kind of into it, for me at least. I feel like Rock's in it. I feel like Farley's in it. I feel like everyone's committed to it and doing it, which I enjoyed about it. Yeah, every, everyone, you know, the movie, the, the thing that makes the movie, and here's, 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 well, I unfortunately, I unfortunately, this is a more lukewarm take. I'll be saving my sizzling hot take for the next film we're discussing. But um, the, my, my lukewarm take is that I like this movie more than Black Sheep. And okay. it's because, and I think it's because, it's not a great movie, but then again, I think just being not a retread of a much superior movie mm-hmm. helps. And also I think that like Beverly Hills Ninja, it just sort of moves like it's, it's another one of those, like not in a good way, like Tommy boy, but like, it's one of those things where like it now, like if it was on FX or TBS or TNT or something, I would just like, let it let it play just like oh like i'm just gonna let it go in the background because like it goes down extremely easily everyone is no one seems like they don't want to be there and by all accounts it seems like farley kind of didn't want to be there Mm -hmm. um but no one everyone no one's just punching the clock everyone seems like they're like on the movie's really stupid juvenile wavelength if that makes sense yeah yeah, take as much as you want out of this from the IMDb trivia section. But apparently Christian Bale has cited this as a movie he will never turn off if it's on TV. Like they asked him his favorite movie and he said this one. Which I I, I don't know. I, it could be. It seems like such a such a unique take to have. Incidentally, I posted a picture to my Twitter account of um, of the the title card or the, the director's card in mm-hmm. the opening credits, where it says a Dennis Dugan film over like the the great rising orange sun, um, and uh, I got a response from someone who was like, "Is this Beverly Hills Ninja?" And I was like, <laughs> "I gave no other information." I was like, "Yes, it is," and he was like, "My God, I saw this movie one time over a decade ago, and yet it's burned into my brain." Um, so it's just one of those like, even if you've only seen it once on cable, it's just one of those like stalwarts that mm-hmm. that won't leave. Um, so yeah, um, he tells uh, he tells Chris Farley uh, he tells Chris <laughs> he tells Chris Rock that he's a ninja and Chris Rock gets really excited and wants to like join him and learn how to be a ninja. Um, there's a I, the, the whole time in this movie like Robin Shu is following Chris Farley and solving all his problems. He gets, he gets some of the biggest laughs, in, the genuine laughs in the movie. Like I like the bit of him. I mean it's it's very. Um, it's very creaky, you know, like, it's not like it's the kind of humor that you've seen, you know, a dozen times before, but like 
you know, Chris Farley throwing stuff into the closet without looking and Robin Shu is in the closet. And so it's just like, he's just getting pummeled by stuff. He's in the back of the car when Farley's like driving over the curb. Um, he, uh, he's just, he, yeah, he's dressed in drag at the, at the like Japanese hibachi restaurant. Um, I'll never forget the gold man that he's dressed up as where he's on the street. <laughs> And then he just has to like break away, which I guess was was uh, was Adam Sandler Goldman or Silverman in that Safety Brothers short. Goldman. Goldman. Okay, probably not related, but I'll co- I'll consider it. And the thing, you know, the thing is, Robin Shu is always one of those people who I was like, I because I love and probably watch at least once a year. I love the the original Paul W S Anderson Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Um, Talk about talk about childhood favorites, my God! Mm-hmm. Um, and he was always a guy where it was sort of like, why didn't I? You know, I would ask myself like, why didn't I see more of this guy? Like, he's very good in Mortal Kombat. I mean, obviously, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is not his fault, um, but it's just one of those weird things. And so it was really cool to see him show up in Beverly Hills Ninja. You know, it would have been the same year as Annihilation, and like. I mean, I don't. I mean, it'd probably be easy and make probably correct to like blame some form of like Hollywood, you know, racism or like you know, like their, their casting practices or whatever. But you know, it's like looking at his filmography. It was just like, oh, like Paul W. S. Paul w. S. Anderson threw him a bone and put him in death his death race eleven years after this, and then he really had a lucrative career being in, I guess, playing the same character in the in three of the Death Race direct-to-video sequels. Um, I had no idea. Highly recommend watching that the, that first Death Race, by the way. I haven't seen those direct-to-video sequels, but they, that that's a, that's another like that's another solid PWSA joint. Um, so Robin Shoes there doing all sorts of stuff. Um, Chris Rock, uh, Chris Farley eventually tells Rock like, hey, like you need to practice more. You need to train more. Like you're not, you're not you need, ready to be a ninja yet. You need, you need to chase that chicken. <laughs> I know, I know one day you will choke that chicken. Uh, <laughs> stupid joke. I love it. Um, so uh, yeah, anyways, what, what, what else happens? Um, oh, apparently according to the IMDb, uh, the IMDb, thanks. Thanks granddad. Um, <laughs> On IMDb, it mentions that this guy Jason Tobin plays a busboy in um, uh, in the movie. Jason Tobin is uh, one of one of the characters. He's Asian. One of the characters in um, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. To the extent that he shows up in Fast Nine, he is the guy who's helping Lucas Black and Bow Wow engineer their rocket car. Um, and so apparently he's just in this movie, like in the background, basically. Um, so good for him. Um, uh, so Chris Farley, uh, he 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 goes around asking everybody. Like he, it, the joke is he's asking every every. Um, he tells Chris Rock. Chris Rock's like, who, "Who are you looking for?" He's like, "Oh, I'm looking for Sally Jones or whatever." And she's just like, "Okay, well." you know, like, how are you going to find her? And he's just like, oh, I'm going to go, like, I'll just start asking people, like, how many blonde, how many white, blonde, beautiful blonde women can there be in Beverly Hills? And Chris Rock's just like, natural blonde? Um, and then uh, he finds her. Um, he, uh, she's living with this guy. She, his, she's his lover, right? The, the bad guy. Is that? I think that's right. I think she's... Yes. She's basically there to set up 
getting whatever got killed. The, the plot of this falls apart a little bit for me after going yeah. through it. It's, it's, it's gossamer thin to the point where like at a certain point I was just like, wait, why is the, I knew there, there are the plates, but it makes something like rush hour two, which also deals with counterfeit money plates. That seems like the fucking French connection compared to this. Well, it's the fucking French connection compared to most movies. We all know that. Um, um, and I mean, and I think also too, just like, so it's, I think it's, Nicole or Nicolette Sheridan who's playing um, the love interest here and I'm not saying this is a rag against her because she, there's really not nothing to work with but she barely registers I have to say like 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 she like like she is a vaguely beautiful in the way that like vaguely beautiful blonde ladies in the, like in the mid 90s were like like a vaguely beautiful I, blonde woman like I think she's the thing is, she's not given much to do, and maybe that's because she can't do that much comedically, mm. but based on the evidence of the movie, she doesn't seem, like, I don't know, I, I'm used to, like, it's, I guess it's a little bit different, but it's like, you know, I, I you know, was an adolescent and a, and a teenager when um, the Victoria Silvestet era of movies where Victoria Silvestet playmate of the year would just be cast in movies like out cold. And it was like, Oh, she's a playboy model. She's blonde. And that's enough. Right. right. Um, and Nicolette Sheridan at least seems like she's game. Like she, at least she doesn't seem like she doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't have like deer in the headlights. Look, she, she seems, I, I I'm, I'm not trying to sound like condescending towards her. I just like genuinely like, looking at her i'm like she's not awful it's just she doesn't register she doesn't like give any strong impression i think she does what she's asked to do okay um the problem is that the movie has um for some the movie has dangled the possibility of a chris farley chris rock team up in front of us and largely abandons that in favor of a chris farley nicolette sheridan team up um and to I'm going to butcher the quote um, and I really should save it for our episode on the hot chick, but um, Roger Ebert's review where he talks about, he might, and I have actually been the review for Deuce Bigelow too, but where he talks about the hot chick staying with Rob Schneider instead of with Rachel McAdams. And he says, uh, that's like taking a road trip to Disney world and pulling off on the exit to Gatorland. <laughs> <laughs> it's so mean, but that's how I feel about the the Nicolette Sheridan versus uh, Chris Rock. Um, so eventually they find um, they find a, like a money guy who's supposed to do who's supposed to like create the um, the counterfeit bills for this villain whose name I don't even know. Um, and this is Will Sasso, uh, I believe, uncredited. At least that's what IMDb says. And um, he uh, they blow some like mushrooms in his face and it's like he but he like immediately sneezes them back out at them apparently all it takes is contact with your skin because i don't think like they ingested them but you know cut to them laughing like maniacs to the point where i actually had to rewind the scene because i i thought i'd missed something and they'd like done like massive amounts of cocaine um so um they uh you know they're they're laughing they're um lol and uh he dies right Will Sasso, he does he like have a heart attack or something? That's why Chris Farley has to impersonate him. He's essentially knocked out or dead. 
okay. yeah, he takes <laughs> he takes over his role and like gets into a, a getup and puts on a mustache, which is maybe unnecessary, but it creates drama later in the scenes. Well, it's that's that's an, again another pretty funny bit where Robin Shue notices that his his mustache is. And I like that he's just driving a forklift with a hard hat and like a, it's like he works at the factory. Um, yeah, so Chris Farley dressed up as this guy who has to meet with the villains. They these people think, uh, you know, oh, he must be he he must be our guy, our money man. So they take him to this, uh, this plant where he is helping to process the bills, uh, and he's fucking it up and doing a bad job. But yeah, at one point he drinks from this water fountain and his mustache gets peeled off and Robin Shue has to do this like elaborate thing where he like, like, like swing, like attaches it to like a, a chain and like swings it back onto Farley's face. Um, I do have to it, say though, like this is a fun section of the movie where he's impersonating uh, uh, like the shady dude. And it's like Farley taking a break from being Haru for 10, 15 minutes and just being like, sleazy midwestern blowhard instead and and it's yeah. and i mean there's no reason why haru would be able to impersonate this guy so well he he doesn't he doesn't know the culture but it's just an, it's just an excuse of farley to like do this character for 10 minutes and i'm glad the movie works it in because it's kind of a break from the haru stuff and it's just seeing farley just rip it up yeah the whole time that he's basically being blindfolded he's like well, what are you going to do? You're gonna, how are you going to drive with that thing on? <laughs> just like every joke that he has is just kind of, I mean, it's, it, it feels like an SNL character. Yes. And um, th- there's actually a bit that did make me think I must have watched this movie as a kid because he has a line here. It's a real throwaway line um, where he says, uh, oh, we'll have to like do that for my, we'll have to contribute that to my uh, Shave the Whales campaign. <laughs> guys like don't you mean save the whales he's like oh is that what we were doing with them um and when i was like nine or ten i thought it was so funny to say like to like i would say to people like save the whales more like shave the whales <laughs> um, and i thought i was so fucking clever and then I, and then it ha- and then that line popped up in the movie and i was like god did i just steal this from beverly hills ninja like oh god <laughs> but uh so i don't know what he gets does he get discussed <laughs> God, I, I remember so much more about Almost Heroes. Um, does he get, does he, how does this end? He's stealing um, or he's trying to take all of the, the plates and then he's walking right. out of the room. They fall out of his jacket and then he locks the, the villain up in the room and steps out and then he turns around like, I am the great white ninja. And then turns around and there's a, a fleet of men that are like the henchmen for this guy. And they basically take him in at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, did we, has the, did the Hibachi grill scene already happen? I think maybe we missed that. Um, I think that was before the counterfeit money thing. Yeah. Because isn't that how they get to the money guy? Is they, um, okay. So yeah. So basically, uh, Farley dresses up. This must like, I don't know. I remember we had one place like this in my hometown and it was like such a big deal to go watch them cook food in front of you. Um, but um, he basically goes to one of those t- style Japanese restaurants where he's like doing the doing the um, he's dressed up as a chef and he's up there kind of doing. This is the one part of the movie where 
I wouldn't be inclined to to call it insensitive, but it goes right up to the line of like he's doing a lot of oh, <laughs> lots of like really um, you know, the movie is very uh, lowest common denominator with this sort of stuff. Anyways, like multiple uses of kung, everybody was kung fu fighting, um, <laughs> gong sound effects. Um, just general sort of chop socky, like, right. oh, we all know that ninja stuff or kung fu is like cheesy 70s style, like, yeah, sound effects and the like, and you know, what have you. Um, Farley here, it, it doesn't, it certainly doesn't feel mean spirited ever. It's just a little, it's just a little bit like, oh, he is like doing that to the extent that would be like a caricature or like, if I were to get up in front of people and do this routine, people would be like, dude, that's really offensive. <laughs> Stop. Um, but yeah, they get into a, a big fight. Uh, Robin Shu is there. That's the funny bit where he has the women's, the woman's wig on. It gets pulled off and he more or less has the same hair underneath. Um, always a good bit. Like Robert Stack with the sunglasses in uh, Airplane. Shout out to Dennis Dugan actually for uh, showing up um, at the start of the restaurant scene. It's like this, Nice tracking shot going from table to table. I think you see Nicolette Sheridan and her and her limey uh, boyfriend sitting down, and then you and then the camera follows this bus boy who's rolling into like the back kitchen, and then that's when Slam Farley piles in and knocks him on his ass. It actually feels like an airplane gag too. Um, yeah, like um, like like that's the thing too. Like like maybe I was sounding a little too overly down on the movie, but like there's not five seconds that goes by without something silly having so that goes a long way <laughs> yeah. yeah and you know you've got the um you've got a couple of like i mean i like robin Shu genuinely doing some like some accomplished like martial arts uh stunt work in this scene um i liked the bit where he you know he's like throwing he's throwing people all onto the grills which is great you know like it's always just ah, like people you know putting their hands on the grills or their faces um that happens to farley at one point where he bends down to get something and his forehead touches touches the grill which which was probably my biggest laugh of the scene but um i also liked when robin shoe like pulled the like vent down on the guy like the big vent from mm. coming down from the ceiling like he knocks the guy out of the grill and pulls the vent um that's good stuff. Robin Shoe's uh, great. And like his whole thing in this movie reminds me of Ryan Phillippe and MacGruber in a way. Like just, just like quintessential sturdy straight man. <laughs> he also, that final gag with him, um, it's a little bit, of, it's, it's, it's almost like a ripoff, but um, it's still funny. It's like that last um, OJ Simpson joke from The Naked Gun. Yes. He's in the wheelchair. <laughs> he flies backwards. Um, it's, but still, Robin Shoe's very game. <laughs> also, kind of black sheep too, in the sense of being caught on the moving vehicle. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> you know, and almost heroes ends with him being carried away by an eagle. So it's a uh, you know, it's 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 all there. Um, something about something we we haven't you know something we've been going through the plot, but something to bring up like Farley in this movie is that especially because. Unlike, you know, he's he's very much still in the vein of Black Sheep and Tommy Boy here. He's a little bit more naive than even both of those characters were. Um, but he still is like, you know, I guess like considering this his third real like Chris Farley comedy. The other, you know, obviously David Spade is a huge part of those first two. But it's like if we're, I'm interested in thinking about a hypothetical of like where Farley might have gone from like had he lived um, and, you know, if if he was 
if he could have been enticed to keep making, you know, to do what Sandler ended up doing, which is just, he had his lane and he stuck to it for a long time with occasional detours. Um, I know that Farley was not happy with the finished product, Beverly Hills Ninja. I know that uh, it was not the kind of stuff that he wanted to be doing. And I know that he certainly had at best mixed emotions about his comedic persona and like the fatty fall down mm-hmm. thing and like the making fun of, um, but I still really like, and that, that, uh, that makes me sad that he, you know, felt that way. Um, and I'm not saying he's wrong to feel that way. Um, I will say I really like him in Beverly Hills Ninja. I think he's very winning and sweet. And um, he's just, not that this is the end all be all, but he's just so intensely likable. Yes. You know, when he's screwing up, it's never like, God, this dude is like so obnoxious or I'm tired of spending time with him. Um, at least for me. And I would, you know, would think, you know, you guys as well. It just, it, I don't know. He's very endearing and his pratfalls. He's, he's an insanely gifted physical comedian and even the lamer, hackier bits of physical business in this movie, I think he just, you know, he's so committed. He's like, it's like, um, it's like when you watch Tom Cruise in a movie now and you're like, this man is determined to wring every last ounce of potential out of every second he's on screen. And he's like straining from the effort. And Chris Farley has a little bit of like, not in terms of like flop sweat or anything, but like, I just feel like it's like, even the bad jokes, he's, oh no, I'm going to get a laugh out of this. Like you, you just watch me. There's a bit where he, like he's trying to be stealth on the, on the balcony while Nicolette Sheridan and, and, uh, and her shady boyfriend are inside. And like Farley somehow has like a dog, like, like an attack dog, a guard dog caught on like this rope and (laughs) he's pulling up the rope and the dog rises and growls at Farley and Farley gets frightened and lets go of the rope. And then there's like this, you know, very kind of cartoonish sound effect of the dog falling and like, you know, dropping, whimpering, yelping, and then just like, like thud. And then it's just this beautiful, <laughs> just cut cut back to Farley's face. He, he, he doesn't make a sound. He just makes this very like, immediately horrified <laughs> and heartbroken face. And again, like it, like like I know this this is a cliche sometimes, uh, but you could you could watch this movie on mute if you wanted to, just to watch Farley's facial expressions and movement, and you would still have a good kick like like kick ass time out of it. Uh, there's a lot going on right like right in the foreground like 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 right in your face with the upteenth time that he's knocking something down but there's also just little details like that too that i think make it as you said very very winning i think you could recut it as a short i mean like a a silent film i think it could be (laughs) it could just be his reactions and his actions and things but um his character here is uh i think the difference between this and black sheep and tommy boy is that like his character while in all those is trying to become like a more respectable person. This one is him trying to become a respectable person in a role. That's not normally where you would see, like you would not see him being a ninja. Like you could see him being a 
salesman or a politician's like assistant or all that. But him just being like a ninja in this just kind of makes it a little bit more comical the whole time, just light. Yeah, I think that's I think that's I think that's very perceptive. Yeah, yeah, he has this. It's so interesting. He has the like in these movies, he's got the sort of like the brother or the family dynamic where he's like looking, he's so looking to please and impress. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, you know, that, that was so like, you know, I don't know. It's just interesting seeing like what they were doing with his persona and like building it out. And it's a little bit of, it's a, made a little bit easier by the fact that black sheep was so transparently like made as like a, just do that again, um, do Tommy boy again. But so like you see like Beverly Hills Ninja and it's like, yeah, I mean, he's got the father figure and the the, issue, the stuff with like the brother or the surrogate brother, you know, and wanting to impress, you know, th- those people and like professionally like make something of himself. And yeah, it's 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 just you know, again, it's it's a little bit of like what could have been like would he have stuck to that um, going forward? Would that have been like the mold of a Chris Farley right. role? Um, yeah, because three makes a trend. That is true. That's interesting. Can we talk about the strip club scene real quick? Because yeah. I, I remember the first time I saw it, or, you know, I, I watched this a couple of years ago. I remember thinking like, oh, this is one of those weird bits in this movie where it's like, it should have just been a kid's movie and stuff like this just makes it for like an awkward kind of mismatch. But, and I still sort of think that. Um, however, I really keyed in on just kind of this uh, subtle, but very, very funny and also like in its own way just you know looking back on farley and he's not with us anymore this almost kind of like weirdly moving moment i had watching it where it's haru there in the strip club and he's reacting very strongly to all these hot ladies and like you know flashing lights and just like the sleaziness of the whole of the whole environment and he's like looking away and and doesn't know how to like really react to all this brazen sexuality and he's like and it's like the movie is playing it like he's about to lose control and just become like a slobbering like wolf or something like that because there's just all this you know tna in his face and it's like he's sort of building up doing that farley thing where you see that he where you just know that he's about to explode into like screaming and cartwheels and he does but not not like he doesn't become like a wolfman lust monster he just starts to dance and and just like joins the show and all the other people in the audience are like clapping and cheering him on and having a good time. Like it almost weirdly becomes sort of like a Chippendales sketch part two, which I, I don't, I like, I like, I don't remember that scene going that way the last time I watched it. So I was kind of like pleasantly surprised that they went that route where it felt like initially they were going to build it up to him just like, being crazy and gross with like the with the with the other stripper ladies i don't know any case like it was a scene that could have gone in one direction but it goes into just a celebration of farley through dance which i thought was a fun time yeah um anyways some more stuff happens chris rock is trying to chase the chicken uh eventually um they need to they they track down the villain to like his warehouse lair or his hat maybe i guess just his house i don't remember yeah there's that great bit with the dog uh which is very funny um and 
I love Chris Rock and uh, Chris Farley. I love Farley getting into this factory by uh, climbing up this tree and like swinging it like back and forth to let him like fly over the wall and into the building. Um, that's good stuff. Um, I don't know. Uh, he saves the girl. Um, he fights some dudes. Uh, he suddenly, uh, he suddenly becomes like when he needs to, he becomes like really, really good at, uh, ninja fighting. Um, like he's like swinging his swords around and blocking bullets from the villain and stuff. Um, and his dad, he like actually projects and his, like his surrogate dad, the, the sensei is like, Oh, you're, you're a real ninja. Um, and he'd never called him that a real ninja before. And it's a very sweet and touching moment. Um, and uh yeah they i don't know they defeat the bad guy what else happens what do you want a roadmap they beat the he beats the bad guy uh chris rock uh gives an interview about being um like the great black ninja um and uh let's see the um oh yeah and back in japan uh chris farley tells his sensei like hey i'm gonna go back to america i'm gonna live there um and i'm gonna like you know fight fight evil there um and that's when uh but yeah they he and allison the woman like they're driving away and uh robin shu gobe is in a wheelchair and uh it gets like there's like a like a harpoon like or like a like a cable that basically gets wrapped it's wrapped around the van and it gets wrapped around robin shu's uh robin shu's wheelchair and like drags him along and flings him off of a cliff he gets some Uh, distance it's incredible distance um it's really truly amazing um like 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 <laughs> like scary stunt free fall and then you know cut to shoe you know emerging from the water and like shaking his, his, his hand at Peru. it's good stuff it's, yeah it's funny um yeah not a you know beverly hills ninja not a great movie certainly not on the level of a tommy boy um but it's you know, like I said, going forward, like if it's ever on someplace or like, I'll just, you know, I'll throw it on. It's, it's good. It's watchable. It's, did, did this uh, viewing change your opinion? Stay the same? What would what, y'all think? I mean, I, I think it stayed the same, but like in a good way. Um, because, you know, when, when I first finally caught up with it a couple of years ago, there was, it was with somewhat like trepidation because like, I guess like in my head, well, also too, like the, like this was like the remaining Farley starring vehicle that I hadn't seen until I finally caught up with it, and I had I, I'd, I'd gotten into it, I'd gotten into my head like, oh, this, like, is this like the one like that people kind of agree that's sort of lame or like I don't know I don't really hear much about it, but but, but it seems like this is sort of like the beginning of the end for him. Unfortunately, like yes, I love Almost Heroes, but that's a whole different thing. Anyways, um, I was pl- you know sort of pleasantly surprised when i watched it then and i am now like it's yes like it's not it's not great and there is a kind of um and like it's lesser moments there is a sort of like desperate silent bob on the rakes but like not in a good way sort of bit of just them like throwing every like possible pratfall and like klutzy farley moment that that, 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 that they can against the wall and it doesn't always feel you know fun or organic but once you kind of get past that and get into the rhythms of the movie, it's too sweet and fun to deny. Like that's kind of what I keep going back to. Like, like this is the sweetest Farley performance. 
I think, of like the big four. And that certainly counts for something. Yeah, yeah. I think I think coming off of uh, watching Black Sheep for the first time in several years, I think I actually maybe like this one more. It's like just more enjoyable and silly. And it just like, I think it could be easy to cut in and out of this movie. Um, I think, I mean, especially considering that the, the plot we have oftentimes in this conversation forgotten where we were or where we were going <laughs> with it. I think it's easy to plug in and pull out. And I think he's just mm-hmm. doing something. Maybe the, maybe what I'm looking for out of this is that it's just, this is probably among, I mean, we'll get to almost heroes in a second, but like if you were watching this in chronological order, this one feels the most different out of the three with the other two leading up to it. So I think it gets like extra points for that alone. Mm-hmm. And just being a, a, like a big character versus just Chris Farley as like, I would say Black Sheep and Tommy Boy seem like it's Chris Farley. And this feels like Chris Farley playing like a Sandler style water esque character. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, he's going to take it and be, it's like you have like Sandler's persona and then you have Sandler sort of taking that and channeling it into Bobby Boucher or, you know, or little Nicky a few years later, like. Yeah. And this one is the only one out of the four that is not necessarily a road trip movie, which we'll get to that with uh, yeah. almost heroes, but this one just, catch. yeah, it has its own, own angle and perspective. And I just, I really enjoyed it. I was, I was kind of surprised because I watched it maybe a year and a half ago and I don't, I think I would have probably held black sheep in a better spot then. And I think now I'm actually like lesser on black sheep. Tommy boy is above and beyond the best, but yeah, this one's it's pretty sweet, enjoyable. Sweet. It's enjoyable. It's, you know, uh, in the future, if I see it for three bucks at half price books, I'll absolutely buy it. Um, just to have it in, in the collection. Um, so yeah, the movie came out. Um, it did pretty well. It opened at number one. Um, apparently Farley was not a fan of it. He, you know, obviously he wasn't seemingly in a great place in his life in general at this point, um, but he apparently reacted pretty badly to actually seeing the movie. Um, and that's a bummer um, because like I said, I don't think it's as, you know, I, I can under- certainly understand like it not living up to his own expectations for his career, but um as far as it goes, it's, it's pretty good. Um, so um, then, so that was January of 1997 when that came out and uh, Chris Farley died in December of 1997. And so um, that was the final film that came out during, of his, that came out during his lifetime. Uh, in the meantime, he shot, uh, before his untimely passing, he shot his, uh, he shot Almost Heroes, and he shot his cameo appearance in Dirty Work. Right. Um, and um, Almost Heroes began life as this script about, um, you know, it's a s- satirical or spoofy kind of thing where it's like, you know, Lewis and Clark, well, what if, uh, what if they were two, like, kind of bumbling idiot, like, also Rands, who were trying to beat <laughs> Clark to the Pacific and... Uh, and that's that's basically the bit. Um, and the film is directed by Christopher Guest, who, as mentioned uh, before, uh, you know, for those who might not know, you know, he directed he, he's in, um, you know, actor and most known as a writer director. Um, he's in uh, This is Spinal Tap. Um, he directed Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show and For Your Consideration. 
Uh, what? What's? I feel like there's a major one I'm missing. Um, Spinal Tap. Like he 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 is in Spinal Tap. Robert directed it. Um, uh, the Bluegrass one. A Mighty Wind. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Yeah. I like A Mighty Wind. Of course, of course. Um, so Christopher Guest is a huge name in the you know, in the the halls of comedy and um, like you know, in the past few years um i think a lot of people have gotten super into schitt's creek on streaming which is a fine show starring eugene levy and Catherine o'hara two wonderful treasures who you know have also worked extensively with christopher guest like like he's like he's one of those names that even if you don't think you know him you know of his work in some way or another um and there's also kind of your idea of what a Christopher Guest movie is, usually in the mockumentary, um, so yeah. to speak, genre. And Almost Heroes is not that. Um, it's a very interesting outlier in his career. For sure. And as I mentioned earlier, D- producer Denise DeNovi, you know, almost proudly said in, in as for her blurb, she was like, uh, you know, I, I have the honor of making the only unsuccessful Christopher Guest movie. Um, this film, I was, so this was around the time where, you know, I was going to Blockbuster and movie gallery, like, you know, constantly. I was a little movie loving kid. And they would have these, um, I remember seeing the poster for Almost Heroes at my local theater and thinking, because I liked Chris Farley from like Saturday Night Live, I remember thinking, like, oh, I got to see this movie, like Almost Heroes. I got to watch this. And I never saw a trailer. I just remember the poster. And eventually, it was just at my local blockbuster. And I was like, wait, did this movie come out? Like, this movie (laughs) come out in theaters? Like, there's no way I would have asked to see it. Like, how did I miss this? And I never rented it on... I never rented it on video. And... um, I just always assumed, you know, I'd like the, the reputation of the movie was like, okay, well, it's like awful. It's not funny. It barely got released. Um, it, you know, no, no one, no one liked it. No one saw it. Um, that sort of thing. And, and um, before we get too far into the film, Almost Heroes, I just have to say, <laughs> I don't know what was going on with me last night. I laughed so hard at this movie. <laughs> I, I so wish I could have watched this with you, man. <laughs> I won't sit here and claim it's a great movie or like, I'm not going to sit here and go to bat for it as like a secret anything. But as it turns out, you know, we just watched, we just watched uh, a bunch, at least Chris and I did separately. We just watched the Judd Apatow movie, The Bubble, or dating this episode. But that's a movie that like also had a lot of knives out for it and critically and it's a lot of people who have been very very funny in the past and you sort of think to yourself like well how could they how could that much talent together like how could they not be funny at least occasionally and the bubble i didn't ultimately end up liking that much but like it was true that i was like no like there are funny moments in this because these are all very funny people and um (laughs) Almost Heroes is very much like it's a similar thing. Where it's like, well, how does Christopher Guest and you know Chris Farley and Eugene Levy? How do all these people like get together and like not make something with some laughs in it? And I I figured it must have been like messed with, 
in the editing or, you know, something where like it got taken away, whatever. Um, and then watching the movie, it's again, it's, 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 not, it's not a great movie, but it, <laughs> I would say every other scene, you know, Beverly Hills Ninja at most I was getting like chuckles. And here I had like several, <laughs> several quite large belly laughs. Um, you know, I might've, I might've had a little bit of uh, illicit substances to go along with this, uh, these hijinks, but man, oh man, uh, I just, there was never any zone now. I was, I was locked in the whole time. Uh, my girlfriend thought it was funny. <laughs> We were all just like, and she was like, this is supposed to be the bad one. I was like, yeah, this is the one that's supposed to be like the worst of them all. And yet here we are. Um, so um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, so the movie is just, it's Chris Farley. Um, Chris Farley plays a tracker. He's Hunt, right? Or is he Bartholo Edward? Bartholomew Hunt. So he's Bartholomew Hunt. And we first see him and he's about to be hung in the town square um for uh i don't know being drunk and belligerent at a party um uh yeah for uh drunk and disorderly conduct in front of an officer and then later he forced that officer to waltz with them through a crowded mess hall um, i, I actually i'm gonna stop right here i'm i'm, I'm gonna promise now to, uh, to not do that because i very easily can this was like like rewatching it today i don't think it's an exaggeration to say it's, it's like the 15th time i've seen this movie i watched this a lot a lot really a lot when well like like in like in the late 90s yeah like i mean i had a vhs of happy gilmore billy madison of dirty work and almost heroes like like those weren't like my big four but like this was in that mix just to kind of give you an idea like i like i watched it a lot i was also very much into friends so like i dug matthew perry in the stupid movie as well like it like i i've seen it many 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 times um and like almost in a, like a way that like in my head, like I didn't even consider it part of like the, like the Chris Farley canon or like I did, but I was also aware of like how hated it is. And I'm like, well, I like, I, I don't know how to be objective about this. Like it's almost heroes. Like it's like in my DNA, like, but anyways, it was a pleasure revisiting it again. And I'm glad that you had such a blast with it, Wilson. I, I, uh, after watching this on Saturday, I talked to two friends uh, who have known for a long time and I feel like they had also watched this as kids and like, they were just like, Oh man, I think that like, I love that movie. I think <laughs> it like had a lot of influence on like everything I'm doing uh, and like creatively and whatnot. And I feel like this movie had a lot of impact on people. Well, this makes me feel less alone certainly, but like the whole time working at Vulcan, I never watched almost heroes in the store. I don't think anyone ever brought it up in my, I don't think, I don't think I ever had any, any inkling until like right now. That I know. Was, I thought I was alone in the universe last I night. I mean, like, <laughs> I know I had Farley Day, so I'm sure I put it on at some point. I like, I remember feeling alone when, you know, at one point talking to Connolly, like our friend Brian and being like, Oh, like I really love almost heroes actually. Like I know that one is no one's favorite, but I have a sweet spot for it. And he's like, Oh, I still need to see that one too. So like, so like even Connolly hadn't at the time, at least hadn't caught up with it. So yeah, like this was one of those. And, 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 and I'm sure we, we all have these as being, you know, people who are super into movies where like you have that childhood favorite. And then maybe a year or two later, you start to more heavily follow how movies are received critically 
And I remember feeling really bummed out when I realized that Almost Heroes got like an F in Entertainment Weekly. And like, I think it got like a bomb rating from Leonard Malton. I was like, hey, what the hell, guys? Like, I thought <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. That is actually what happened to me. That that exact thing happened to me with uh, with basketball. Um, <laughs> where like a year, like a year or two after that movie came out, I started reading reviews. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's Bartholomew Hunt. Uh, he gets saved. Uh, he gets saved from uh, from being hung um, because Matthew Perry uh, wants to. Who's sort of like a like a like a like a dandy. Like he's just like a he's a an aristocratic. You know, wants to would be explorer. Um, he's a, a learned man who needs this rugged uh, Bartholomew Hunt to help him navigate the West. Um, I like, you know, I'm already laughing in that scene. Like even so Matthew Perry, who was also going through his very well publicized uh, substance abuse issues at this point in time. Um, Matthew Perry was a replacement for Hugh Laurie, who people oh, like right. correctly ascertained would not have been known to American audiences at that point in time. Wow. Caveat, the caveat is that Hugh Laurie absolutely would have been a much better choice. He would have oh. been great. And Hugh and Hugh Grant was apparently briefly attached and then dropped out. That's such that a different also, movie. That also would have been better. I have to say, as someone who doesn't, I mean, I think Friends is fine. I, I'm not like I'm not a hater or like a, a huge fan. So it's, it's just there. Like I like Friends. Um, Matthew, but so I have no particular attachment to or defense of Matthew Perry. Um, I think he's funny in the movie. Like there, there are line readings and bits that he has. I like, uh, I like here where uh, at the beginning when he's in the carriage uh, and he's just like, faster, we have to save a man's life, but not so fast that my leisure is disturbed. <laughs> and, like, and the guy, he's just like, please, a man's life is on the line. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> like, like, that's a great bit. Um, <laughs> Die, you Spanish bastards. Like he has a few bits that are good. Um, um, yeah, like, you know, I grew up, like, I was the right age for Friends growing up, and it was, like, one of the first sitcoms I feel like I really, like, took to, um, you know, sense of humor has, you know, evolved a bit since then, but, you know, I, I still dig it, and I always enjoyed his work as Chandler being, um, so just, like, the fact that this exists the way it does, where, you know, Matthew Perry, <laughs> Chandler, is in this period comedy with chris farley but like like that's just so hilariously bizarre to me that like i have to embrace it and i think uh uh, Ch uh perry does get some few good bits having said that i'm glad you brought up the hugh laurie thing because i remember reading that in the farley book and having my mind blown and like that is such a different movie that's such a different dynamic and god i would have loved to have seen that um and apparently too and it's been a while and you guys can maybe help refresh me but like I think there was some maybe like, I don't know if it was taken away from Christopher guests, you know, hands and like having, and like having like studio interference thing. But I think initially the, the idea for this movie was, was as more of an ensemble kind of farce. And then through different test screenings and edits and so on, it became more of a, all right, cut out the side characters and then cut out some of Perry's stuff. and just really focus on Farley um so like to where it becomes like a buddy comedy but sort of like black sheep where it's like even spade stuff feels kind of like sidelined um apparently at one point because in the movie uh matthew perry's character makes reference to like a fiance back home or he's betrothed 
And apparently, like, I, I don't know if this was filmed or not, but like Parker Posey was 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 cast as uh, as Matthew Perry's like, you know, fiance or like beloved back home, which again, that's like mind blown. That's a different kind of movie. Um, so yeah. well, I think yeah. that's kind of interesting. So Denise, the, the producer, Denise Denobi, the only thing she really says about like, as far as like reasons for it not being successful, she she mentions, she was like, it turns out because it was a super hot script. Everyone thought it was hysterical. And then she mentions that there were things that read a lot better. She was like, it's literary and there are things that read better on the page than they do when said out, spoken out loud. And there were a couple of moments in the movie where I, like, I could see what she was talking. Even when I still found something very funny, I could sort of see what, what she meant. Um, because like, I laughed very hard at, um, at, Matthew Perry's line reading of something like, "You there, the fellow plugging that bu- plugging that stomach wound." <laughs> like, but I could see how that would be so witty on the page, and then it's just like, well, it's very de- delivery dependent, um, and it might fall flat. Like, you know, our audience might miss it or something. But um, I think I read a quote from Denobi where she was making comparison to like Blackadder, the uh, you know, yeah. like the, the beloved television series um, starring Rowan Atkinson, as well as. Hugh Laurie um, on a couple of those seasons. So if you, if I kind of like, you know, close my eyes and squint a little bit, I can kind of see maybe that version of it. Um, and what we have instead is, um, is a, a lot more broad, um, but also has like, like enough bits of weirdness, I think like it, like in the margins to make this not just like fun and funny, but also interesting too. So like that, you there fingering your stomach wound, like like lying being a great example. <laughs> so, so, this is this really, <laughs> Sorry, Austin, you were saying I got I got oh, something. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I kind of so this was my first time watching it, and I think the thing that I was like feeling and like referencing while watching it, it feels like it's taking the essence of like a BBC show on PBS and making it into a comedy, like, and maybe that's kind of like the Blackadder style in a way but it felt to me like a like a Oregon Trail I guess this is not quite Oregon Trail but more like uh, Lewis and Clark style comedy in that BBC framework mm-hmm. so like there was parts of that where it's like the, the score and different pieces of it just felt very classical in that the sense score is really really good <laughs> like 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 I like I know I've seen this movie way too many times but the score is like goes pretty hard for this kind of movie um I uh for me with this movie and this is fine by me because even though this other movie that I'm about to reference is is uh, sometimes quite literally amateurish amateurish um this movie gave off very heavy um cannibal the musical vibes for me. <laughs> um, Obviously not as like, obviously in a lot of superficial ways, but sometimes when they were just like, just like the idea of like the ragtag bunch of idiots, like marching through the, trudging through the wilderness and like being like totally unable to fend for themselves. Um, and like the different personality, cause like, that's interesting you mentioned about the editing because like, I still think that those people, maybe, maybe you couldn't totally remove that from the movie because they still do like a lot of the bits with the people who aren't Farley or- yeah. Harry, um, that, um, the, Sheep bit, shit. The, the bit, the bit, um, 
the first time that I actually like like laughed out loud like like hard is um, when there it's right after Matthew Perry um, gives uh, t- gives that line about the like you there like plugging your stomach wound with your finger um, that guy proceeds to tell a story um, about putting shit in a pie or in a pudding um the way and this is another example of like where i can see why i can see where maybe you would think this is the funniest thing you've ever read on the page and then seeing it in person it wouldn't play the same way but me having not read it on the page i was losing my mind at this dude speaking what seemed like an appropriate cadence of like that time and he's like why it was me the very same man (laughs) i ate the shit like it's so funny and then not only is that funny but immediately afterwards everyone except for matthew perry has the most grotesquely exaggerated laugh where they're like ah (laughs) and i was like i was like almost crying with laughter it feels like uh like a like a like a david wayne bit or 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 something (laughs) my favorite part of this uh Maybe my favorite part of the whole movie is that moment where they are recruiting people to get on the boat with them. And then this old man comes up and is like, I really want to see the West Coast. I've never been. I'm an old man. I'm going to die. And then like he like convinces his way on. And they're like, will you help us carry things? He's like, I'm an old man. I can't carry a thing. <laughs> that guy's great. Um, so... They all meet me on a team because they want to go to New Orleans. New Orleans instead. So that, so like the old man, Jackson, that actor is Patrick Crenshaw. Crenshaw, I believe you also know him as Blue in Old School. Yeah, you're my boy, Blue. You're my boy, Blue. Yeah. So that guy, you know, what a legacy. Yeah. He's great. So, yeah. So basically, like they they recruit, um, they recruit some folks to, um, to you know, assist them on their journey. Um, they're going up the Missouri, the the Mississippi or the Missouri. Who who the fuck knows? Um, they're going up some rivers, uh, and they're gonna find the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and yeah, that bit we're talking about, like basically, like they have a, a bunch of boats and a bunch of people, and then like two thirds of those people decide uh, spontaneously they they'd rather go to New Orleans, and they just take the boats and leave. Um, and um, <laughs> he doesn't say okay, you know, he doesn't say he. Later on, Matthew Perry has that great bit about why didn't you why didn't you avenge me after the bear? And he's like, well, in 14, 15 years, old age will take care of that bear much more cruelly than we could. <laughs> Revenge is sweet, sir. <laughs> that's, that's great. But um, so, yeah, they get away. Um, one of the men that they have, they have blue from old school. Um, they've got a, a few other guys. Um, they've got um, they got a priest. They've got a dude who's very accident prone. They've got someone who just looks like a wino. Um, who uh, yeah, like 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 little squirrely dude who falls in love with like the straw whore. Um, <laughs> they have um, like the slave servant Jonah, who's played by Bokeem Woodbine, like a young like Bokeem Woodbine it, um, of all people, uh, who like great has Bokeem Woodbine, the great Bokeem Woodbine, who unfortunately like maybe it got lost on the cutting room floor, but there's he's just kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but there is one bit I really like where it's like, uh, it's like, the, like their first leg of the journey and there's Bokeem like sort of, you know, pouring hot water into Edwards's bath 
And Matthew Perry's like, oh, the water's brutal out here. It's nowhere near as hot as it was in Virginia. He's like, I wouldn't know, sir. I just finished washing my privates in the ice cold river. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> good stuff. Um, uh, um, also, you, got, uh, oh, you got Eugene Levy. We haven't we haven't really mentioned that uh, he's he, he's here as a what is it Canadian? Like <laughs> they keep calling him a Frenchman, um, who's like supposed to be a like he's supposed to be. He's posing as like a, you know, like a brilliant uh, interpreter of, you know, Native American tribes and dialects and very quickly is shown to be a fraud. Um, he has like a like a squaw as his not like his wife even, but like uh, my property. Like it's it's a very like, like, yeah, he like, yeah, <laughs> she belonged to me as a property. Like, yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's doing <laughs> he's doing a thing in, in this movie and um to paraphrase a line from new girl it's too stupid to be offensive like it's too bad to be offensive <laughs> yeah um he also just you know he has the thing and i and i appreciate again a little bit that they don't lean on this joke too hard like i could see i could have seen them easily running it into the ground but i really like i really like when they first pull up into that first native american tribe <laughs> and, and He's just like, they're like, all right, come tell us what you're saying. And he's just like, oh, sir, you understand. Like, of, of the hundreds the of languages, <laughs> hundreds of languages, dialects I speak, this is not one of them. And I hear, oh, well, well, that's bad luck. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> and there's like a running thing of like every time there's like, there's an exchange like that between Matthew Perry and Levy and him just like talking out of his ass and lying and lying his way through it. Like, there's always Farley right there who's just like, you know, head in his hands, like he's like he spotted this guy out as like a dipshit from from day one. Um, it's it, it's an interesting thing with Farley in this movie because it's very much a broad, you know, performance again. He's kind of playing a buffoon, you know, who can't handle his liquor. He doesn't know how to read, and when he does try to learn how to read, like he, you know, like he he loses his shit. He's screaming a lot. He's fallen down hills he's clumsy like it is a a chris farley performance and, and like a chris farley character but he's also like playing sort of like a gruff tough guy that sweetness yeah. that we've talked often about with tommy boy and like beverly hills ninja it's not here like there's like an alternate bizarro version of this movie called like that's not that that's 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 not a broad comedy in which this character would be played by like kirk russell like if that makes sense at all like 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 he's like he's you know tracking things he's like shooting you know uh like buffalo to like make his bacon and he's like you know drinking people under the table and throwing punches and whatnot and being like poppy you sons of bitches like he's 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 doing a tough guy thing that's occasionally pops up amongst all of the you know um the laughing at sheep shit jokes and whatnot <laughs> He's kind of playing the most confident character he's played out of the four yes. movies we've watched. He's yes. confident and he actually is kind of like one of the leaders that knows his shit a little bit. But I mean, he's playing to the role of someone in this era that, you know, isn't educated and all that. But he's really actually like he can kind of figure his shit out. I mean, whenever they stop at um, one of the first like Native American places and like he gives away all the stuff. And at the end, they're like, why, why did you give all that away? Well, I'm not carrying that shit with me, essentially. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, he knows what he's doing. It's not like he made a mistake. Right. Well, 
He, yeah, and he's he. I mean, he's exasperated with like it's like he's not the one who's constantly exasperating everyone else. Like he is like like exasperated with Matthew Perry sometimes. And um, yeah. don't you know any other goddamn tune? <laughs> we're just like yeah, we're just gonna keep like I, all these jokes that just like made me bust a gut last night. Like that that was another one. <laughs> Like, you know, but even Matthew Perry's reading where he's just like, you know, when I said that your music would be a would be a wonderful companion, would be a true companion. I didn't I didn't exactly mean that. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's, there's not there's not a ton. Thankfully, this movie is very vignette. It's, it's very much like just like a, a, a bunch of bits strung together. Um, there's the bit where, yeah, the guy tells the, the story about shitting in the pie and eating it and they all roar with laughter. And, and this dude, his whole thing is that he continually uh, like basically loses his body parts. Like he gets uh, he gets uh, his ear cut off his um, leg by the bear. His, his leg by the bear. And like, I just love that. Like, I love that they, he somehow makes it back. They're like, oh no, like he's dead. Like, we can't go get him. And then he's just like the next morning, he like crawls into camp, missing a leg. Um, and that's when Matthew Perry's like, oh no, like old age will, will be the sweetest revenge on that bear. <laughs> um, I loved um, the. Uh, <laughs> the, this is, yeah, they go to, they go to, um, oh, so. Chris Farley asks to be taught how to read. And this <laughs> bit is the most, probably the most traditionally Chris Farley bit of humor in the movie. And in an interesting way, it's an inversion of a scene in Billy Madison, or it's a mm-hmm. reversal, um, uh, where there's lit in the same way too. Yeah, they're sitting in this tent and, um, and Matthew Perry draws, he's like, this is the uppercase A and Chris Farley, after finally being able to concentrate on it, uh, is like, okay, I got it. And then he's like on the other side of the, the board. He's just like, and this is the lowercase a. And Farley, it's a masterclass, his reaction to this. Or he's just like, uh, like his hands are shaking. And he's like, oh, lowercase. And then he's like, and this is the uppercase B. And he's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Do you want my do you want my head to explode? <laughs> um, they go to the town, they go to the town, um, and Farley's trying to read the sign, and it's like, oh, it says snake bend or whatever. Um another and, great um, bit um from Bokeem Woodbine there, because like Farley's like just like just talking gibber to the sign, and then it cuts to Bokeem, like for the love of God, man, it says <laughs> welcome to Snake's Bend. <laughs> Um, and in this in this uh, tavern where they're at, uh, they run into um, uh, shit. What was this character's name? It's Kevin Dunn playing oh, um, uh, Hidalgo. Hidalgo. Yeah, so he's playing Hidalgo, not to be confused with Viggo Mortensen's Hidalgo. Um, oh, okay. I know it was the horse, but it wasn't Viggo Mortensen. But still, um, so Hidalgo is Kevin Dunn playing the Spaniard uh, with uh, very elaborate, like curly locks. Um, looks like from an old portrait. And uh, he basically demands Eugene Levy's wife. He basically says, like, you join, you're going to join my men, and, uh, Eugene Levy. And that way, like, what's yours is mine. And so I can be with your wife. And he's like, oh, so what if I don't want to join? He's like, well, then I'll cut your throat and whatever. And he's like, all right, I guess I'm joining. <laughs> um, I, 
I remember the I remember the scene ends with Eugene Levy leaving. I don't remember exactly like I don't remember exactly what goes on. So um, Eugene joins, you know, um, like the gang of conquistadors through, you know, threat of murder, and <clears throat> Matthew Perry tries to stand up for uh, Shakina, uh, the the uh, the uh, the the Indian woman who he's got who he's becoming sweet on, and that's when Farley saunters in, uh, kind of to like save the day, and he challenges the conquistadors to a duel through drink, uh, like a duel of drink, and uh, it's a great yeah, and it's a great bit where it cuts to Farley and Dunn having like this real long drawn out showdown. Um, think of uh, the entrance of um, of um, Karen and Andy. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, remember that oh, bit? Yeah, Karen Allen. Yeah, Karen yeah, Allen. Yeah. Thank you. I was about to say Karen Black, and I knew that was wrong. Sorry. Karen Allen. Like the way we see her introduced and in, and in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like that type of drinking contest, and it's Farley and Dunn having a showdown. And Dunn is doing some great facial acting here. Who's just like, you know, drunk off his ass, about to pass out, and just continually horrified by Farley's stamina. And so finally he passes out and then there's this wide cut to, <laughs> to all of the other <laughs> conquistadors just passed out and just, you know, you know, tumbled around each other all across the room. So Farley drank through like 20 guys basically. <laughs> and he's just still there. Um, I, kind of awkward to watch a bit when we, you know, think about his personal demons, but eh, whatever, we only need to go there. It's a funny bit and Farley plays it well. Um, Guess I have to admit, drinking has its benefits. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. The, the the drinking thing that happens a couple of times in the movie, and I will admit that it is a little bit like knowing that he was so close to the end. Like mm-hmm. he's an actor, I'm sure. And again, he was supposedly very like good about not being on anything when he was working, um, or at least when he was shooting these movies. Um, I think, like, as to to the best of my knowledge, I think the only movie we see where he's like probably not in a good way is I think dirty work and you can kind of see it in his physique in that movie. But otherwise I'm pretty sure he always worked sober on these films. Like he was able to compartmentalize successfully in that way. Well, I, I will say the only thing that I'll say, and I don't, I don't know how much like just like knowing the facts of his, his life um, at this point might be affecting my, my judgment on this, but I will say that there, and also he's like, he's like out They're shooting at least a little bit on location. Um, it's different. It's different circumstances, but there, and, he, and he's also supposed to look, uh, look like a rugged outdoorsman, but there are times where it's like, he's like sweating and his like hair is like matted on his head. And I'm just like, man, this dude like does not look well. Like mm. he needs to like, so like there are a couple of a couple of instances in the movie, just like a shot here and there, where I'm just like, oh no, like is he like he looks more unhealthy here than he has in his other movies? And again, that could totally just be how they made him up to look uh, because yeah. of the setting. Um, I I can't really tell. There is that bit in before he drinks them under the table. There is that bit where he goes and gets the bath, uh, and that's like that he looks better. So you know maybe. That was just part. That was just for the character. Um, yeah. Oh, and we forgot. Of course, all the other guys go uh, to the house of uh, a straw whores. <laughs> Don't you have any real women? These women may be whores, but they have their dignity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like they all like the one dude like leaving after the fact is like, "I'm sorry, that never happens to me." 
<laughs> that is not a joke I got when I was 11, let me tell you. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Um, but yeah, they leave. Uh, they end up. Uh, there's a fire like uh, like like one of them has like a cigarette lid or whatever. And like there's a fire and like they leave. And just after the drinking under the table, the conquistador. So at some point in that, I guess like or, or like it, it's implied that Levy just, you know, you know, takes up with the gang. Maybe he got, you know, drunk, like passed out drunk, too. But but we don't see him again until the end when the Kungi stores come back. Yeah, to- that's my, my, my girlfriend. My girlfriend asked, she goes, where did Eugene Levy go? And I was like, oh, I blinked. I don't I don't actually know what happened to him. And he showed up again. And I was like, oh, phew, I didn't miss anything. <laughs> um, yeah. So they go. Um, they end up they end up somewhere. They go further west and they end up in the snow and they run out of food. And uh, what's his name? The dude who brought his straw woman with him uh, is like eating the straw woman. Um, and Matthew Perry gets sick. Uh, he, yeah, he comes down. Uh, he, he comes down with something. And um, Shakina, is that her name? Yes. Uh, Shakina says to Chris Farley, she's like, you know, the only thing that'll save him is they need uh, the egg of an eagle. And he's like, okay. Now, this did not get the biggest laugh of the movie for me, but this is, to me, like, this is my favorite joke in the movie, and it is the it is one of the closer things to, like, the weirdness or sort of the weirdness of, like, a Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore, or even more to the point, you were mentioning David Wayne, and it's, like, yeah. it's, it's, always, it's always funny to me. I mean, as long as the setup is good, I guess. It's always funny to me when you repeat a joke, like... In, in quick succession because like it's like okay well obviously like obviously this person isn't going to do x again and then like he does it again and, so, and there's yeah and there's a progression to these jokes that i like to that are absurd but also kind of like just you know sort of grounded and, and based in character but yeah basically so like farley has to go find the egg of an eagle to make some kind of medicine so he treks out of the snow and you see like this kind of you know like this actually decent expensive looking montage of like wide shots of him going through the snow and the mountains and then he's you know he's like crossing like the snow line and he's looking at big tall trees and he and he finds a nest and he climbs all the way up to the nest and he like you know he's like 50 feet in the air (laughs) and he finds this this nest with three big beautiful eagle eggs and he grabs one and he hears a you know a caw from the sky and then here's the stock footage of an eagle flying. And this whole extended bit, I love. It's my favorite part of the movie. It's also, I think, um, this whole, you know, like five minutes of the movie belongs on, belongs in Farley's, like, like greatest hits reel, I would say, because he has, like, a different facial reaction of horror each time to the eagle. And like, it's always like the same sound effect of like the eagle crying. It's the same music cue. It's like the same like sequence that's, of cuts. That's what, what gets me is that every time it's the same. Yes. Yes. And, but Farley's face is different each time. Like it, it's like him doing variations on just looking horrified or just like exasperated, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So each, so like the first time the eagle attacks them, he falls all the way down. He has the egg, but he's starving. He tries eating a pine cone. 
and gets frustrated and then he decides just to crack the egg and fry himself up a nice egg he eats it and and i I, I love this so much as soon as he eats it and his and his like his his awful hunger is you know (laughs) bedded down a little bit he immediately like has like a mental little echo of like i need the egg of an eagle or he'll die like 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 he's able to think clearly again he's like all right god damn it and he climbs up the tree again there's the eagle and then falls down and then now he he shoots yes. a buffalo him, shoot, him shooting shooting the, the pig or whatever and, and making bacon so that he will not have to eat an egg and yet He's looking at the, the bacon flag and he's looking at the egg and clearly thinking this would go, you know, it would go great with this. <laughs> and then, so he cracks the egg, fries the egg, eats the egg with his bacon. And then he doesn't have the echo of like the egg again. Like instead it's just sort of like a, <sighs> damn it. <laughs> it's like, like, he knew like before he did it that second time, he was like, okay, like I know if I do this, I'm going to have to go back up there. <laughs> It's like it's it is a fantastic succession of like a joke on top of a joke on top of a joke. It like I would almost like I would almost call it elegant, like the way this whole thing is constructed and this otherwise very silly, broad, absurd kind of movie that clearly took a lot of like screenplay sort of passes and like read and like and like rewrites like like the movie is kind of a mess and it makes a lot of sense when you read into um its production history of like how it's not quite the thing it's supposed to be but it's almost there in any case this bit this like five minutes of the eagle and the eggs i think is just a thing of beauty <laughs> and, then the, and then the ultimate punchline where he brings it back and she, Shakina, immediately just cracks the egg in front of him uh, into the snow. And he's like, you cracked it. And she's like, I just needed the shell. All I needed was the shell. It's like, oh, no. Um, and so, yeah, they get to a certain point um, after that. Matthew Perry's fine. And um, they get to a certain point where they're, they they go over some rapids. They see Lewis and Clark's party and they're like, no, we got to beat them. And um, they go like they get in these canoes and they go over the rapids. They go over this crazy waterfall and um, they basically, basically Matty Perry wants to keep going. Um, he wants to keep going. Um, some of the other guys want to quit and go back home. Um, I like Bokeem Woodbine where it's like, who will stay with me? Like, what about you, sir? Where do your loyalties lie? And he's like, well, I'm your slave. And he's like, well, good man. He's like, so I'm going with them. Like, <laughs> oh, um, and then, uh, uh, Hidalgo shows back up, uh, with, uh, you know, and like they take him, take him prisoner or whatever. The gauntlet. Um, yeah. <laughs> the gauntlet and like the fact that eugene levy doesn't know what the gauntlet is um and he's like pretending to know what it is and it's like they just like run through all these people and they're just getting like whacked whacked by every soldiers they run through and it's like they have to step over coals and they get and then they get to just a a bed like they have to run over a bed of corn and of like, Kevin, of like yeah who's like whose idea was the core <laughs> like eugene levy's like looking all sheepish off to the side um I just remember uh, this is a little bit blurry for me. I just remember that uh, at the end uh, you find out Kevin Dunn uh, turns out he has, uh, he's wearing a wig shades of David Spade and yes. uh, boy. Um, and he's like, okay, well this will just be between you and me, you know, like, like I won't 
chase after you and kill you, but you know, don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, and I, like maybe Matthew Perry's best moment in the movie too, because like they're having like the little sword fight, the wig comes off, and then Dunn is immediately just sort of like this, like just like this shriveled, emasculated, like embarrassed dude. Like he he gives up this little shriek, and Matthew Perry's like, "Well, hello there, Baldy, Baldy, Baldy!" Like he, he like he becomes like this taunting twelve year old like on the playground. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like that is like like all the stuff with the conquistadors. Like it, you know, this movie barely cracks a full ninety minutes, and like a lot of like like this whole thing at the end certainly feels like padding. Um, having said that, the fact that there's this running bit of Hidalgo being obsessed with his hair, <laughs> obsessed with Shakina's hair, and just like, like just like, 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 like clearly <laughs> very, very um, intellectually and emotionally um, insecure about his <laughs> gorgeous hair, like is just a weird specific thing that somehow made it this far into the movie. And um, I do appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate the great Kevin Dunn being up for all this. Um, the uh, and so yeah, I think that after that they uh, they just like come up, you know, they they make their way over the 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 mountain range and they see the ocean, they see the Pacific, um, and uh oh, Lewis and Clark are nearby and they're going down and they're going to beat them and it's like well like uh, I guess we can uh, I guess like we need to we need to go down the hill but who's going to go down the hill and Chris Farley uh, ends up going. Um, he falls, he, you know, he trips and falls for a little bit. And then what should show up with that fucking eagle again? <laughs> oh, yeah. Picks him up, picks up Chris Farley <laughs> and flies him out. What looks to be 200 feet above the ocean and drops him from the big, like the greatest height. Like, I'm sorry, anybody would have died on impact. <laughs> um, I had real plausibility issues with this moment. Um, but yeah, no, they, they get out and the last... Last pretty good joke of the movie is he gets out of the water and all of his party members are there and they're like, wow, like, way to go. Like you, you did it. And he's like, great. Wait, how did you get down so fast? And like, oh, we found a trail. Like, it's like, yeah, it's actually like they put it actually like built little steps. It was nice. Um, and they decide uh, they see Lewis and Clark and tell Lewis and Clark basically suck it. We got here before you. And then they decide, like, hey, why stop here? Like, why don't we walk up to the, la the land bridge, the, the Bering Strait, and the land bridge to Asia? Walk uh, to Asia. Walk I to like it. <laughs> and then we can go there, and we can go from there to Europe. We'll be, we'll be having, by this time next year, we'll be having escargot in Paris. <laughs> and then, like, cue up, like, the triumphant music, them all hugging and running off down the Pacific and fade to black, which is kind of a kind of a twisted ending in its own way because well we've read our history books we've learned about lewis and clark <laughs> right. these guys did not make it to paris <laughs> well you know dare to dream they put their own headcanon in there um so yeah i'm definitely pro almost heroes um, i like it a lot I um I have to say um and this is this is something that I, when I when Lent is done and I'm allowing myself to buy new things again, um I might need to buy this movie because I know no one's in any hurry to put it out in any like physical media format, but weirdly, I rented this movie 
on, uh, I rented this movie on Amazon Prime and I started it and the quality, the picture quality was so bad that I had to turn it off two minutes in. I genuinely, it looked like, it looked like someone's second generation copy of a VHS that had been left in someone's like trunk for a while. And I genuinely got worried that there were like, you've never seen a YouTube rip worse than this. Wow. And I, and I literally thought to myself, Oh God, like is the movie is, does no one care enough about this movie? Is the transfer just very bad? Like in general, like because I know it was eventually it was released on DVD in 1998 or nine. Yeah, you know it's funny you mentioned that too because like I actually watched a YouTube rip that was clearly from someone's VHS, which in a way I didn't mind because like that's always how I've watched this movie, so it it, it felt appropriate. Um, I'm seeing now like there are you know Amazon, eBay, you know pick your poison, but I think you can still buy used copies of the DVD, you know, probably, probably like you said, Wilson, you know, like, like Beverly Hills Ninja half price books, three bucks. That seems to be the going rate for almost heroes DVDs. Too. Oh, you know what, actually. Okay. This is a good, this is a good solution because I'm seeing now that there is a, um, there is an archive, a Warner brothers archive collection DVD, of ah. which means, which would mean that it was a more recent release than, Okay, but the, the 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 conclusion to that story is that uh, I rented it on Apple TV, um, so I ended up ah. spending twice what I would have paid. But the Apple TV version looked totally fine; like it looked like okay. as soon as I started, I was like, "Oh, this this looks like a movie," and so it was it was a okay. Um, yeah, I might have to I might have to get that archive collection thing because you know, I know Stranger Things have happened. They did eventually put out a Blu-ray of Clifford uh, with Martin <laughs> Short, but um, you know, that movie at least garnered a big cult following of like actual comedians. I've right. not, I mean, except for talking to, to you just now, like for this episode, like I wasn't aware that anyone had anything nice to say about this movie. Um, I mean, I, 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 really feel, liked I, feel, <laughs> I feel like it's one of those, there, there are dozens of us kind of things. Um, I mean, yeah, like, I, I mean, like, I think it's a lot of fun and, and silly and you know so often these types of high concept period comedies are just kind of like a you know just like a slog to sit through um this one's light on its feet um it has a great cast and you know not all the jokes work but like everyone's going for it um i like farley in this mode um I think he's fine with Perry. I would kind of kill to see the Bizarro version with maybe like a Hugh Laurie or a Grant. Um, I don't know if that would necessarily be more successful, but it's wild to think about. Um, as it is, though, like, yeah, like, I mean, it's it's, it's hard for me to, <laughs> to have any kind of like critical objectivity about this movie, like uh, as as, you know, well, well watched as it is. But <clears throat> Still had lots of fun watching it, you know, today. And, um, and, uh, yeah, like I, I, I'm happy that this alongside with like, let's say dirty work, which is, you know, which has found its audience over the years. Like I'm always happy to kind of like wave my flag for this movie be like, Hey, yeah, no, that thing that you forgot about that you assumed was, was terrible. It's actually a lot of fun. Like give it a try. 
Yeah, I think I, I think I'd be curious to see some like someone else in the role of Matthew Perry. I think he was like to me, he was a little bit weaker in it. Like mm-hmm. from the first scenes, I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know about Matthew Perry, which I'd seen him around that point in like that movie that he was in with um obviously friends, but he was in that Salma Hayek movie. Oh, Fools Rush in. Yeah. <laughs> so like he in a moment, well, this this is true for I mean, almost all of the all of the friends cast, unfortunately, but Perry just never really hit like with the right movie role, I think. Like like Fools Rush In is probably like the best movie that he did as like a just a sort of like standard leading role. Like I I I kind of put almost heroes in a different category over here, but like yeah, it just never quite happened for him. Um and he has some moments in this one, but yeah, you know, it is it, 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 like it is curious to think about the Hugh Laurie thing. I'm fascinated to think about the one-off scene that Parker Posey apparently shot. God, can I please see that on like a restored Blu-ray or something? <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. I was not uh, I was not aware of that. Um, I mean, it makes sense because she was she she was and is certainly in the Christopher Guest stock company. Yeah, that's right. Good. Yeah, that's a great point. I forgot about that. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, this movie was uh, I don't I didn't see like what the what the actual figures were for its like box office gross, but it didn't do anything, and it's not it was not loved by much of anybody at the time, and it has not seemingly found much of a, a place in history since then, and that is unfortunately uh, the end of uh, that was the end of Chris Farley's movie career. He sadly died uh, nearly a year before this movie was released. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So, um, and we can talk a little bit, I mean, we've talked, we've talked certainly extensively over the past couple episodes, we've, we've, we've talked extensively about Farley in general, but I guess like in terms of his place in the, in the Sandler squad, um, you know, obviously he's, he's only there at the, at the outset. Um, but I don't know, I think it's, I, for me, just as far as like closing thoughts on Farley or like getting my thoughts in order, he's. I really, you know, it's, it's always the great, like what could have been. Um, and I think even more so than with someone like John Belushi, where it's like, obviously he, you know, his life paralleled Belushi's in many un- unfortunate ways, but, you know, Belushi, you know, had these things where it was like, it, it felt like Belushi had arrived at a certain point um, before he died. And I feel like Farley was still, despite all the superficial similarities, I feel like screen persona wise i feel like as an actor as a star he was still finding his legs and yes. it's sad because there's the there are the glimpses in these movies that we have watched um there are the glimpses of you know hit where he could have gone or how um you know what kind of persona he might have settled into or you know the risks he might have taken you know almost heroes is a very different kind of movie than the other three um successful or not um he was trying to do that fatty arbuckle script like he clearly had aspirations to not just like make tommy boy for, for the sure. career and so i wish it's a, it is it is part of the tragedy of his loss that we never got to see that um but i do think what's on display in these especially these four movies you know between his cameos and billy madison and dirty work and coneheads and wayne's world and these four starring roles, I think he's really, uh, I don't know. It's a really, it's a really strong screen persona. He's, he's very vulnerable and endearing and um, 
and a great physical comedian. And I really enjoyed spending this time with his stuff. Um, yeah. What do you guys think? I mean, I mean, I mean, no, I agree with all of that. Like, like, even if you somehow had never seen like the big, you know, Tommy boy, black sheep, Beverly Hills, if you had just seen him like like his one-off work in like the wayne's world movie or coneheads he makes an impression in those movies like i'm thinking like even just like him and coneheads like i'm cracking up right now just like just like thinking about it, like just like this sweet doofus completely in over its head trying to figure out what, what the fuck is going on with his family but 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 like not like put off or horrified just like wanting to you know make nice with the daughter and impress the parents like uh it's great um and just to jump back to Heroes real quick, y'all, um, I just took a, took a quick 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 peek at the numbers. Apparently, it had a budget of like thirty million, um, and it grossed about six at the box office. So, is that good? Is, <laughs> uh, so it's unfortunate that like that was sort of the cinematic capper to his career. Not just like the tragedy of his death, but like you have that occurring. And then six months later, you have this movie dumped in the theaters and just no one, no one saw it. And, you know, Christopher Guest has had many successes since then, like, you know, best in show. I think you could make a case for that being maybe his masterpiece, one of the best comedies of the past 20 years. And so like people are still watching and loving Christopher Guest movies is what is what I mean to say. People are still watching and loving, um, Tommy Boy and Black Sheep, and maybe to a lesser degree, Beverly Hills Ninja, but no one really has anything to say about Almost Heroes. And I think that is a bummer because there's there's stuff to appreciate there for sure. Um, and just with Farley in general, like you know, like I, I would say like at this point, almost every other year, if like I'm either feeling low and want to find some comfort, or or if I'm feeling excited and happy about something, and I want to kind of like celebrate like I will have like a little week or so of just revisiting these movies and it's always a delight. Um, and I'm glad and, you know, I'm, I'm glad for the work he left us. I'm so sad that he didn't, he didn't get to leave us more. Um, you know, we we, we mentioned the fatty Arbuckle thing. Um, also, you know, somewhat sadly slash famously, um, he was set to do Shrek. Oh, that's right. Uh, um, and you can, you know, like for those listening, you can Google or go on YouTube, just type in Chris Farley Shrek and you'll and you'll find like maybe like a 60 second demo like audio of him doing that monologue from the movie where like like basically like the pain and shame of being an ogre and like people judge me before they even know me. And like it's Farley doing the like that speech from the movie he's not doing a scottish accent like it sounds like farley but he's channeling like this uh you know like you know this you know the famous touching monologue from shrek <laughs> um a dreamworks picture um but it's like like i remember the, the first time hearing that that, that that audio a few years back and like kind of getting chills because like, like obviously there's some sentiment there and just you know like the sadness of him you know passing away when and why he did um like there's that factor but also just like just like there's like a lot of loaded what could have been with his career um, 
And sorry, go ahead. Awesome. Oh, it already feels weird to say this, but like between him and the character of Shrek that I know, I, f- I see a lot of similarities. I mean, I feel like, I feel like it would have been like a perfect fit. It yes. feels like the character of Shrek almost was made with him. And I mean, obviously it was probably made with him in mind. If he, yeah. he recorded so much of it. Like, like he, he recorded a lot of it. And then, you know, he left this world and then, you know, Mike Myers apparently like, like stepped in as kind of like a replacement and like, Oh, like he can, like, he can do this. And like, Oh, maybe well, like, why don't I throw my Scotch accent on it? And like, you know, kind of like different, like different differentiated a bit from Farley's thing, which, you know, was probably like a good move. And, you know, obviously those movies took off and they're their own thing, but yeah, it's, um, it's tough and sad to think about just how much he was just getting started, I think. Um, and I've actually, you know, like I've appreciated too, you know, seeing or like revisiting these these later two movies and sort of seeing the different little modes that kind of pop up in those movies, like the extra sweetness of Beverly Hills Ninja and just like those physical silent comedian skills that you get to see. Um, the more of the gruff side that you see in Almost Heroes is like is interesting to because like cause like like he has some lines here and there where like he's kind of like being like a tough guy and I feel like he sells them. Um, so yeah, I mean you know it's what can you say that we haven't already said? But like it's always a pleasure revisiting these and um, and again like I'll echo our sentiments earlier. Um, if you're a fan, if you're curious, definitely check out the Chris Farley show, the oral biography. Um, you know, um, I think that's you know. A worthy and heartfelt read and you know and it gets into lots of you know interesting uh details about his life that aren't always like you know on the wikipedia page so definitely get like like give that a look and um if nothing else if you're someone who you know has fond memories of like some snl bits and like tommy boy but maybe you haven't like got around to beverly hills ninja or almost heroes do it like he like this guy only starred in four movies before he passed and they're all worth watching. You can make your rankings however you see fit, but they're all worth watching and they all have value. And um, we might as well enjoy what we can of the work that he gave us. I'm going to pass it on to you, Austin. Yeah. I mean, I guess his legacy is kind of like left in this. I say this as like just a similarity, but like that, that um, James Dean style where it's like has very few, like lead acting roles, but people still talk to him, talk about him to this day. I mean, there's like just constantly, I mean, the fact that Adam Sandler got big again in 2018 doing that Chris Farley song yeah. on, uh, on hundred percent fresh and then SNL. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lasting career. And I think he just like broke into so many people's hearts in his like little bit of screen time. I mean, he had a longer screen time than, just these movies. I mean, he had SNL from like what 90. So from right, he was with us from like 90 to 97 or eight or whatever mm-hmm. the year was. So there's a lot more out there, um, a lot more to discover, but yeah, I really do feel like over the past week, I've been listening to that uh, biography. And I think that just adds so many like layers and texture to who he is and his upbringing and everything about him. And he's just, a sweet guy that's like sad to see that he didn't stay around longer. And I think he did leave behind some really classic films and some things that we can really consider the legend that he left behind. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's like if he, I mean, it's pointless to speculate about like what ifs, but it is. So I just, I, you know, watching these movies, I'm just like, what, yeah, would he have been a Sandler level uh, talent? You know, he did. Um, I mean, I mean, not, not, I don't mean talent. Of course he was a, a, a talented. I mean, like, would he have been a Sandler level, like, box office force like sort of like a cultural like everyone like mm-hmm. the way everyone knows what an adam sandler movie is like everyone right know what a chris farley movie is um and it, it's it's I, david so i know that he has a walk uh he has a star on the hollywood walk of fame um farley does and apparently when they broke ground on that or when they like did it at the ceremony uh david spade had a had a, a quip uh about he was like well like i know that if he were here today he'd be he'd be working for Sandler just like the rest of us <laughs> um which is funny but also again you know maybe not i mean farley was on the precipice of sort of maybe being able to do it write his own ticket mm-hmm. yeah i feel like yeah. the clearest the clearest role i could see him being in in the sandler film would be the kevin james role in grown ups right it's all the snl cast except for kevin james so I don't know. I could I could see him being in that in that role. So so Jake Kevin James, who we will get to eventually. Kevin James is a very different persona, just in general, than Farley's persona. Uh, <laughs> is an unknowable question. I don't know why I'm positing it, but do you think Kevin James gets self conscious about that fact? Like when he's on the set for Grown Ups, he's like, I'm here because their other their other large friend died. <laughs> like they needed another one for the visual symmetry of it i mean i'm sure the 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 decades of breaking in millions probably softens that blow i mean you know like like he had you know like like he came up on his own you know merits that's true he didn't come he he didn't come up with the sandler boys so um also he was an adoption but you know like like but you know the the one thing that the other thing that Chris Farley and uh, Kevin James have in common is they're apparently both devote, uh, devoted Catholics. So, yeah, um, which and you know, that's a lot talked about in uh, Farley's biography, which is an interesting like wrinkle that I don't you know probably not a lot of people knew about. Yeah, yeah, uh, like like by all accounts, very very devout and devoted, and um, did a lot of you know by the sound of it, like a lot of um, like very genuine and like private outreach work um that he didn't you know really trade his fame on um which is interesting and moving to to to, to read about um also just very sad too you know like he was a guy with addictions and demons and i feel like probably his faith was both a source of comfort but also all the more a source of probably like guilt and shame there too so yeah it's very much worth reading um that book i can't you know recommend it enough but you know i guess do be forewarned that it is kind of a you know a melancholy read in 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 certain respects um uh but you know i'm not gonna armchair psychoanalyze (laughs) there because like there's no point in it but uh, but just all that is to say i'm so sorry he left us too soon um and you know i'm sure there could have been so many, you know, more like amazing things that he did with these, with the squad that were, that we kind of, you know, devote our podcast to, but also just like, I like, like, I, like, I, I have no doubt that his own star would have been his own thing too, for sure. 
Um, in, it, yeah. in any case, I'm glad that we have what we like, what we have to like, you know, watch and, re- and rewatch and enjoy. And it'll be curious to see going forward with the other, I mean, obviously some people have longer filmographies and shorter filmographies or whatever, but it'll be interesting to see going forward how much the average, the batting average of the, these other, you know, Sandler, the, uh, the Sandler squad stars, like how much, how much they measure up to or down to what, however it is, uh, mm-hmm. Harley's run. Um, I do think, and we don't have to do it round Robin style the way we did last time with Sandler. Um, since we only have four movies, I think we should just like, you know, we should just say like what our, what our rankings are, uh, for like the best for Farley, best to worst. Um, Pretty sure I know what all our favorites are going to be. Um, in fact, I don't think our list is going to be that. Probably, maybe not different at all. But just for me, I'll say number one, Tommy Boy, obviously. Uh, number two, Almost Heroes. Quite shocking to me, but Almost Heroes in the number two spot. Uh, number three, Beverly Hills Ninja, and number four, Black Sheep. What about you, Chris? Exactly that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm going to go Tommy Boy, Beverly Hills Ninja, Black Sheep, then Almost Heroes. Ah, There you go. I think it's just I have that childhood nostalgia towards Black Sheep that like brings it up a little bit. Um, Almost Heroes was the first time watch for me this weekend. Fair. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I also want, like, want to be clear. I do not dislike any of these movies. Like, even you know the the often bash like Black Sheep. I like I enjoy more than I feel like is a slog. Like, um, and you know that's a movie that's in and out in like 80, 85 minutes. So yeah, sure. It's it has it has its problems, and it definitely pales next to Tommy Boy. But like, that's still a fun romp. It's fine. <laughs> I think I think with Almost Heroes, I think it's maybe one that might reward more upon rewatches. Sure. That Black Sheep wouldn't have. <laughs> um, so while it's at the bottom of my list, I think it could get higher if I rewatch it over and over again. Sure thing. Um, um, well, that's our uh, that's our take on Chris Farley. Um, it was really, really great to have this opportunity to revisit and in some cases for the first time visit. Uh, these movies um, he's a real treasure um, grateful that he ended up in the orbit of the Sandler verse uh, there for a little bit before passing on um, and that's going to do it for this episode uh, thank you so much for listening as always uh, rate review subscribe tell your friends and uh, we are going to be back in just a few short weeks uh, we're trying to maintain this uh, this regular schedule thing once more uh, we're going to be back uh delving back into so now you know farley you know we started with grandma's boy a little in media rest for um happy madison and then we rewound it to farley because farley was not actually around for the official happy madison era but next we are going to uh we're going to be tackling the true origins of happy madison we're going to be diving we're going to be going into the schneiderverse we are going to be discussing the films of Rob Schneider. Woo! This is the real. This is we talked about the gauntlet. This we're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be doing it up with Rob Schneider. And uh, stay tuned uh, for that schedule. Uh, you know, we'll obviously we'll talk more about it in the next episode. Obviously, 
Deuce Bigelow will be in the next episode. Uh, that was the very first Happy Madison movie in 1999. And, um, you know, included in the Rob Schneider category, we've got, um, let's see. So we've got Deuce Bigelow, a male gigolo. We've got the animal. We've got the hot chick. We've got Deuce Bigelow, European gigolo. We've got the bench warmers, which is also a crossover with Spade. Uh, I might be forgetting one. I, um, I think that might be his last official Happy Madison thing. What? Um, the bench warmers. Um, home team, which is a recent Kevin James thing. So I know that, that that's kind of tricky. Um, okay. Well, if it's if it's under the if it's in the category, it's in the category. If it's gotcha. if it was made, yeah. Um, it's a lot shorter than I would have thought. Like I would have thought there'd been more overlap, but yeah, we've covered a lot of his films already. I mean, yeah, he's in, he's obviously in like a ton of these a ton of these movies that we've already talked about. But as right. far as like the official like Rob Schneider is a leading man, uh, I think that's it. Uh, there's something called Big Stan. That, but yeah, I, I know all about Big Stan, but that's not Happy Madison. That's not Happy Madison. Oh, he directed it too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's he the, did. They're surf ninjas, obviously. You know, not yeah. not not Happy Madison, but um, he had a Netflix special uh, from 2020 called Asian Mama, Mexican Kids. <laughs> um, I don't know that that, that that could be a Happy Madison production. I will confirm that. Um any case, we have we'll be doing the next two months with Schneider, regardless. Lots of lots of quality time with Schneider. Um, I and- I will say I am like genuinely super stoked to revisit the hot chick because I remember loving that. Um, everything else, I'm kind of like, all right, this will be a fun hang with the guys. I guess we'll see how this goes. <laughs> my my, I had friends in college who just because of the trailer for the hot chick would go. It's me, Jessica. <laughs> out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Shout out to Carl and Brian if you're listening uh, for, for, for doing that shit all the time in 2008 and 2009. Um, all right. All right, gentlemen. Anything else? Nah. I think that's it. I think we're good. I think we're good. For all right. Me. Well, tune in next time. As we dive into the Schneiderverse, thank you so much for being here with us on this journey through Chris Farley's filmography. As always, I'm Wilson Smith. This was Chris Giles. And Austin Colt. Thanks so much. And we will see you all next time. Please take care.